Okay, we are in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we're going to pick up reading from verse 16. And you'll remember that Paul now is in Philippi. With him is, is uh, Silas, Timothy as, as a young helper, and then also Luke, the writer of this book, has joined them. And here they are in Philippi, and, and you may recall also that the, the, there were not enough Jews in Philippi to have a synagogue, but they had a prayer meeting going uh, out by the riverside, which was actually an instruction what they were supposed to do if there were not ten men. And that's why they had just been sharing with the women. And so now we, we spent actually a couple of weeks in, in verse 15. Now we'll move to Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And it happened as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming to us customs which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe. Okay, so that Paul was going out with his traveling companions to the place of prayer again. And uh, this was where Lydia had gotten saved back in verse 14 and where they had first started sharing with those women. And they were going back to that same place. And this slave girl who had a spirit, it says, of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. And it says that Paul was annoyed by this, and she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. Now, we're not sure whether this, is, this was happening only on the Sabbath day, that they were going to this place only on the Sabbath day, and they were doing this recurringly for a period of many weeks, or they were going to this back to this place of prayer again and again on consecutive days. Nevertheless, this slave girl was following them, and it said she had a spirit of divination. She could, she could uh, 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 fortune, there was fortune-telling going on, and she knew something about the future, and she was bringing her masters a lot of money by this. And she was crying out and saying, these men are servants of the Most High God. So she was using a terminology that is actually in the Old Testament, the Most High God from Psalm 78, verse 56. It talks about this. But she's saying, these men are servants. And in one way, you may say, well, what's wrong with that? She's speaking the truth. There's a testimony here. Why not let her continue? Many people might, might, uh, might buy into this. But actually, just as Jesus did not want people who were filled with demonic spirits testifying of him, Paul, it frustrated him as well. 
And, and in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, in Luke 8, 28, there are verses that talk about how men who had been filled with demonic spirits would come and say, uh, what have you to do with us, uh, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And so here, spirits recognize spiritual things in people's lives. Spirits recognize this. The man on the street, the typical man on the street, doesn't recognize this. But spirits recognize this. This is something that still happens today. Spirits recognize this. And, and uh, you know, I've told this story before, but I was, I was sitting in Randall's one day in that, in that uh, area where you can kind of sit and have coffee, and I was reading my Bible, and a guy came in once, and he was talking to himself, and he was saying, I want bluebell ice cream, I want bluebell ice cream. And he was speaking to himself, and and speaking actually quite loud, and he kept cursing in between them, just saying a lot of really nasty words. And I've dealt with, with these sorts of people before in, in prisons and in different ministries, so I knew exactly what was in this man that was making him speak like this and, and had control of him like this. And now, you will notice, though, that Jesus confronted demonic, demon-filled people all the time in the Gospels. He confronted them. And... And, and, you know, on every other page, he's dealing with, with demon-possessed people. But then you get into the book of Acts, and it's a very sporadic thing. Paul deals with people like this, but it's years between each dealing. And even with all his ministry, there's years that go by between his each dealing. And it talks about how in the book of Revelation, it talks about how... how um, the spirit had, had, had... how the evil had been thrown down had been thrown down to the earth. And then we understand that when Jesus came, there was this enormous amount of spiritual activity on earth. Because it says the Spirit knew that His time was growing short. But once you hit the book of Acts, it goes back to normalcy, meaning that the occasional dealing with the Spirit, not the everyday dealing with these spiritual issues of demon-possessed people. And in fact, if you look at it in the book of Acts, it is years between each confrontation, sort of like the way we might deal with it even in this country. Nevertheless, so the man, I, I guess he went off and he found his bluebell ice cream, and then he was coming back, and I guess he wanted to sit in the same area where I was sitting. And having dealt with these people before, I was sitting there reading my Bible, and I knew that he was going to recognize me. I knew that he was going to recognize something of the Spirit in me. And he started to approach, and he was about 20 feet away. And he looked up at me, and he, his eye caught my eye, looking at him, and he said, Well, if it isn't one of the children of the Hebrews... Now, I'm a Jew, I was born into a Jewish family, but I don't have Jew written across my forehead. And, and uh, he immediately recognized something, but there was no fear in him because of that, and he started to approach. He took one or two other steps, and he stopped, and he looked at me in the eyes. And he said, G-U-L-P, gulp. And he turned around, and he just took off. I was ready to deal with him in the spirit as he approached me, knowing very well what, what, what was filling him. And, I was, and, and you know, I looked at, at him, and I was ready to begin to deal with him in spiritual terms, much like Paul had done this. And I had learned to do this years ago, dealing with, with, with people who, who struggled with this sort of thing. But I wasn't going to chase him down either. He took off. He went in the other direction. 
There are people like this. Paul was frustrated by this woman coming after him. Now, if you don't like to, if you like to say, oh, this is all fictitious, then why don't you do this? Why don't you cut out every page in your Bible that deals where Jesus or where one of the apostles dealt with somebody filled with the demonic spirit? Just cut that page out, because if it's all nonsense, just pull the page out. But if you believe this word to be true, these things are alive and real. We don't confront them every day. Paul, it says, was frustrated by this, and his whole party was frustrated. And you think, well, Paul, why didn't you see her delivered immediately? Why let her suffer with this and go on and on? Well, she wasn't coming for deliverance. Maybe Paul also knew what was going to happen had he delivered her. But after a while, he couldn't take it anymore. And it says, it says uh, uh, in, in verse 18, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit. Now, Paul did this because of his great annoyance, the, the great annoyance that was coming toward him. doesn't say that he did this because, he, oh, the poor girl is so struggling. This is tormenting her life. I mean, that wasn't the issue here. The issue here for Paul was, enough! I can't take it anymore. This girl following behind us, we're just trying to go and have a prayer meeting. She's bothering us so much. So finally he turns around and he says that I command you in the name, that he said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. He did not speak to the girl. He commanded the spirit that was within her. He spoke to the spirit that was within her, not to the girl. And he commanded the spirit to come out in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it says it came out that very moment. Now, if if you look up in, in verse 16, it says, She was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. She didn't have just one master, she had multiple masters. Because this was a big business for them. It says they were, she was bringing them much profit. Not just profit, but much profit. This was a huge business for them. So much so that probably as this slave girl grew up and this was noticed about her that she could tell fortunes, that she could predict the future, and spirits can do this. You say, how can you being a scientist say this? Because I believe the Bible. How can you being a Christian not say this? It is true. This is clear in the Bible. And, and so, she was bringing her masters much profit. She had multiple masters because if there's something of high value, you don't just have one investor. A pool of investors get together and buy this thing. Probably many rich guys came together, put their money together, and bought this slave as a source of profit. And now Paul deals with it, the spirit comes out, profit's all gone. I could see how this would hurt the masters who had invested a lot in her. I mean, just think about your business. You're not thinking about this from a spiritual perspective. This is a business. The business is gone because this guy commanded the spirit out. So you'd see why they'd be really upset. In verse 19, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. 
And when they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So, they didn't go before the authorities and say what was really bothering them. That their hope of profit was gone. They said, they dragged them before the authorities. Now remember, these are rich masters. So when rich masters come before the authorities, the magistrates, the magistrates listen. And so they come before the magistrates and they say, and they brought them before them, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. So you see, the whole source of this is anti-Semitic. They're throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. Being Jews, they threw the city into confusion. That's the problem. Because they're stinking Jews, they've thrown our city into confusion. Now you'll remember, Paul was not speaking in the marketplace here. He was only speaking to Jews in this place of prayer. These masters, being Gentiles, couldn't even distinguish Judaism as it was practiced in that day, rabbinic Judaism, from this this enhanced teaching that is trying to call Jews back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This teshuva, this bringing back. They couldn't even comprehend this. They just said, this is all Judaism. And they're trying to force it on us, something we're not allowed to do. Now remember, this was a, a, a Roman colony. This city was, was a Roman district, even though it wasn't part of Italy. And in Rome, there was no conversion of religions. You couldn't convert somebody to another religion, but Judaism was a sanctioned religion. Jews could practice their faith, but they couldn't do conversions outside of their faith. And, but Paul had never done that in this city. And then it says, uh, uh, and they are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe. And so then they're, they're saying they've broken a law because they're trying to convert us. And we can't do this. So, again, this law now that Paul has presumably broken has been fabricated. This is a whole fabrication that is put upon them. This is not true. Have you ever been accused of something that you were not responsible of? Responsible for? Have you, has that ever happened? You know the pain and the injustice? This is what's happening here. Verse 22. Now the crowds rose up against them and the chief magistrates tore the robes off them and proceeded... And, and, and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command, they threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Okay, so in verse 22, the crowd started to rise up together with these masters. So now you've got crowd violence. Crowd violence is really a terrifying thing when you have this mob violence. Really terrifying. Especially if you are on the receiving end. 
of this mob violence. And this can happen in any city, in any place. I'm amazed at how quickly people that are generally very calm and very, very cool, all of a sudden can spring up in mob violence without knowing anything about the situation and start attacking another. I have even seen things like this occur in academics, in meetings where somebody says something and then all of a sudden people start piling on. I've seen it happen even in faculty meetings where all sorts of stuff starts coming out and attacks on a certain individual. It can come. But this is happening in a crowd and it says the magistrates tore the robes off them so they didn't even have a chance to say that they are Romans. Now, if you put a Roman citizen or chains, in chains or have him beaten, you can actually undergo great, great uh, punishment. These are Roman citizens. Both Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. But they never had a chance to say anything. They had their, their robes were torn off them and they proceeded to be beaten with rods. Think of the humiliation. Think of the humiliation. I mean, these are respectable guys. To be in the midst of a city, to have your clothes ripped off in the midst of a crowd, and the magistrates started to have them beaten with rods. Now, the Jews beating with, with rods were, would only hit a person on, on, on a particular beating 39 times because they weren't allowed to exceed 40 lashes. So rather than to exceed that, they would go one less. That's why Paul said, I had received 40 lashes, save one. So they would go 39. These Roman floggings were at the discretion of the magistrate. Just as Jesus' floggings, he was not hit just 39 times. He was scourged according to what the magistrate wanted that day. But you, you see here that, that we don't know how many times they were struck. But it says he struck them with many blows. So it wasn't just one or two. It was repeatedly he had them beaten. For something that they were accused of that they never really did. He had them thrown in prison and he commanded the jailer to put them securely. And he says, and after having received the command, he threw them into the inner prison and fastened their seat and stocks. He was commanded to make sure they're very secure. So the Roman prison had an outer court, it had then the prison, and then it had, surrounded by all the other jails, it had an inner area. And that inner area had no windows, and only the, the, the only fresh air that came in is when the door was opened. And then he also had their feet put in stocks. There were stocks that could, would either had five holes for the, the two ankles, the two wrists, and the head, or there were stocks that had two holes. And actually, the two-hole stocks, that their, their legs were spread out very far, so it wasn't at all comfortable. Their backs had been beaten, so now they're laying on their backs after they had been beaten, and their legs are spread apart in stocks in an inner, inner prison. So there's no light in there. And it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, praising God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now look at this response to all this. I mean, I would be spitting and cursing and, and crying out for a lawyer and doing whatever I knew how to do. I mean, look at the response in these men. So that they're singing and they're, they're praising and they're listening. Now we don't know what they were praying. We don't know what they were praying. We can only speculate, and everything we say would be speculation because the Scriptures don't tell us. But it says in verse 26, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, the foundation shook, so it was not a normal earthquake, it was a great earthquake. Not only that, it says, Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. This is not a normal earthquake. 
Normal earthquake doesn't make chains fall off you. It may make some doors open, but not all the doors spring open immediately. And all the chains fall off. So something quite profound had happened. And all the prisoners didn't run. They all hang out with Paul and Silas. All we know is that they were listening to them singing and praising. And then when their chains fall off, they don't run. I did prison ministry for ten years. That isn't normal. If all of a sudden the gates were to open and everybody's chains were off and it's pitch black out and there's no fence or anything. This is not normal. I wonder if Paul and Silas weren't praying, Lord, bring an earthquake and just open this up. Something quite profound must have happened. There must have been a tremendous witness, some word that caused these other prisoners not to flee. And then it goes on and it says that the jailer was going to kill himself thinking that the prisoners had fled. And the jailer, for good reason, was going to kill himself because if, as, as a Roman, your duty was unfulfilled and these guys escaped, you were going to be killed anyway and in not a very pleasant way. And so he was going to kill himself. And that was his duty to kill himself. And then it says, Paul said to him in a loud voice, Do yourself no harm, we are all here. So remember, Paul knew that none of these people had fled. How did he know that they were all there? Did he have a tally of everyone in the prison? I mean, something was going on that we don't have reported here. But it says, when, when, when the jailer thought that everyone had escaped, he was going to kill himself, and Paul cried out to him. There were no lights yet, because remember, it says in verse 26, and he called for lights, and they rushed in. So Paul must have heard the jailer shout something before he was about to kill himself. And that's why Paul shouts out. It says loudly Paul shouted out, do yourself no harm. He couldn't see the jailer. He's shouting out to him. Everything is dark. And then the jailer comes and falls down and says, what must I do to be saved? I mean, what of all things to ask? The jailer must have heard something. Now remember, the jailer was asleep when this happened because it says when he awoke, the earthquake awoke him. Maybe he was listening for some time and then fell asleep. Maybe because of the way Paul and Silas were not spitting and cursing and being resentful after the beating they had just undergone. Maybe something about the way they were different when he was locking them in the stocks. They were praising God. Something there he wanted. There was something there that was different about him that he wanted. And this is what I've seen. Even my colleagues who will sometimes criticize me because of my open witness. They really long for what I have. And the reason I know that is because when they're in trouble, when a death has occurred, when a spouse is lost, when something really profound hits them, they often come to me. And they receive comfort from me. So even when people will act against us at times, the relationship that we have with Christ is so profound that they often long for what we have. Because what we have is something that can't be manufactured. This Holy Spirit that we have is different. It draws people in very strange ways. And sometimes we don't appreciate all the treasures that we have in Christ. You know, we, we will have...
people into our home. And they'll say, you know, I just love being here. Just so peaceful here. They sense something in our home that my children take for granted. But there's something there. They sense a spirit of God. Unbelievers sense this. They're amazed at, at relationships. People will say, you know, it's just so good to be around you and your wife, how much you love each other. We're just being our normal selves. But there's, there's a way that we love each other. I really love to be with Shireen. And I hope she feels the same about me. She doesn't go around expressing that as often, unless I ask her, say, do you love being with me? She says, yes, I do. I said, I think I love being with you more than you love being with me. You know, she kind of rolls her eyes. I mean, what's she going to do with a guy like this? But, but this speaks to people. Relationships speak to people. What we have in Christ, the peace that we have in the Spirit, speaks to people. And <clears throat> so this man saw something and he's saying, hey, I want what you've got. Verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And he spoke the words of the Lord to them together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized all, and all his household. And he brought them into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in the Lord with all his household. Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison, and now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed, but let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid and when they heard that they were Romans, and they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Okay, so, Paul says to him, if you believe on the Lord Jesus, that you and your household will be saved. Now, it wasn't because that man believed his whole household got saved. His whole household believed, because it says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all those who were in his house. So Paul spoke the word of the Lord to this jailer along with his whole household. That means his wife, his children, his servants, all of them. All of them received the Lord that night. All of them were saved. But it wasn't like that man got saved and therefore everyone in his household was saved. No, it says Paul spoke the word to all of them. And then the jailer took them that very same hour. He washed their wounds and then he and his whole household got baptized. So probably in the same public bath area that this jailer was washing the wounds. Remember, the, the wounds had never been washed. And then he brings them into his home. He serves them a meal. This is probably the first meal that they had gotten for quite some time since before the beating. And it says that, that uh, um, in verse 34, And they rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with the whole household. Do you see what comes upon a household when Jesus moves in? And we as believers can take that for granted. You know, I, I, I work with men sometimes, and even just this past week, I was sitting with a guy and with a group of men, and, and, and we're going around the table sharing as we're, we're talking about raising boys. And, you know, one guy said, you know, I'm just coming into this. He said, uh, uh, 
You know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, and I worked very hard, and, and, and I have two sons, and, and they don't like me very much. I'm trying to rebuild a relationship because I divorced their mom when I was, you know, going through the law practice, and I married another woman, and now I'm, mar- and now I'm divorcing the other woman that I married when I divorced their mom, and I need to rekindle some relationship here. This is all new to me. And I'm looking at him, and in my heart I'm saying, God, thank you for getting a hold of my life and what you've done in my life. That I've been married for 26 years to the same woman, and that I have a relationship with my children. Because sometimes I can take that for granted. And this guy was wanting so much to have what I have. When Jesus moves into a home, it brings great joy. And you see, there's this instant fellowship that occurs. Again, don't take that for granted. When I was an unbeliever, the thing that impressed me most was the fellowship that Christians had together with one another. What amazed me is that they could get together, talk and laugh together, and their laughing was never at anyone else's expense. Because everything that I knew when you were with a group of people, if there was laughter, somebody in that group was hurting. There was laughter at somebody else's expense. And that expense had been mine enough that I knew what that pain was, and you know what that pain is. And it impressed me that believers got together, and the laughing and the joy was never at anyone else's expense. This guy is rejoicing because Jesus moved into his house. This is the treasure that we have in the body of Christ, of families that know Christ. And then it says that um, in, verse, in, in verse 34 that a message was sent saying to Paul and Silas, you guys can go now. And Paul says, well, wait a minute. We're Romans. They had Romans condemned without a trial. They had Romans beaten without a trial. They had us put in prison in stocks without a trial. He says, no, if they want us to go, they're going to have to come themselves. So Paul says, let them come themselves, because Paul just wanted an acknowledgement that they had done no wrong. They had done no wrong. It's not that they're going, that okay, they, they fulfilled their, their crime. No, he says, we've done no wrong. Let them come and tell us that themselves. So the policemen report back in verse 38 the words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard they were Romans, and they came and appeased uh, and appealed to them. And, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. So what Paul asked for, he got. He said, let them come themselves. The magistrates came themselves. And in this way, acknowledging that, hey, the guy did no wrong. These, Paul and Silas did no wrong. But they didn't leave right away. They went to Lydia's house. They had fellowship there. And they, they encouraged the other brethren. And then they left town. You know, I... One of the books that I love to study is a book by Charles Spurgeon called, called uh, um, Lectures to My Students. And I would not encourage you to get that book. And I would not encourage you to get it because I don't think you're ready for it. And, and uh, every, every young person that I've known that started re- reading that gets through like the first or second chapter and can't take it anymore. And they stop reading it is just so filled up. And what he's doing is he's teaching the students in his Bible college how to be ministers of the gospel. And, and so, you know, I've read this book more than once. And I'm reading this book. And he has this whole chapter on 
on maintaining one blind eye and one deaf ear. Huh? I thought we were to be you know, wide awake. And he says, no, maintain one blind eye and one deaf ear. And he's saying that with regard to letting things go. To let things go. It's amazing how quickly Paul and Silas let this go. Paul and Silas could have had these magistrates undergo beating and thrown into prison for what they did. But they let it go. And how apt Christians are to hold resentment and to want to file lawsuits and do all sorts of things. He talks about, you know, he, he has this, this section that he writes that I think is, is really quite interesting where he, he tells us to, to just, just let things go. Don't carry them. Let them go. Let me give you a, 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 a few instances. Let me, let me read this one thing. He says, uh, you, must, you must be sure not to hear certain things. Do not take them to heart. For you also have talked idly and angrily in your days and would even now be in an awkward position if you were called to account for every word you have spoken, even about your dearest friends. That's me. Even if my dearest friends heard all the things that I've uttered about them in passion and in excitement, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't be, go well. He says, who has not, under, uh, under temporary irritation, said that of another which he has afterwards regretted? It is part of the generous to treat passionate words as if they had never been uttered. You know, don't take things to heart so much. Learn how to forgive. In, in, in Ecclesiastes, there's this beautiful verse in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is right after the book of Proverbs, which is right after Psalms. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 has this wonderful verse. Verse 21. Ecclesiastes 7.21 Also, do not take seriously all words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. You know, to be a professor of organic chemistry is not to be the most well-liked person on a college campus. So I know that there's students that say things. You know, it's really interesting. Sometimes I'll walk in the lab and everybody's busting up laughing and all of a sudden they see me and they stop. The Bible says don't take to heart every word you hear or else you're going to hear your servant cursing you. But just remember, you've spoken the same things about others. And I remember when I was in graduate school and my professor would come walking in the lab and we'd all be busting up laughing and then he'd walk in and everyone went straight-faced. You know, you reap what you sow. Just let it go. Learn to let things go. You know, David in, in Psalm 38, verse 13 through 15, he talks about, he says, Lord, I have a deaf ear. Lord, I'm dumb in many regards. Many people are talking about me, but I'll say nothing. Look in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Because I find this extraordinary, the way Paul could just walk away in total forgiveness after this. One little thing is done to me and I want to just get him back. Paul just, okay, you walked us out. Good enough. I'm leaving. Matthew chapter 6, reading from verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. 
Okay, so the whole preface of this is, I'm going to teach you to pray and not to pray like hypocrites. Now let, let's skip down to verse 9. Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So in verse 12, we pray this prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Did you know if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you? You say, well, that's not fair. Well, you just pray a prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. So down in verse 14 it says, For if you... Forgive others their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is pretty serious. You want to tear this verse out too? This is what it tells us to do. We must forgive. Must forgive. Well, Lord, you don't know what wrong He did to me. No, God very well knows what wrong He did to you. And He says, forgive. Well, he lied to me. Well, I've lied too. Well, he cheated me. I've cheated too. I have. I've lied. I've cheated. Okay? There it is. You all know it. I've lied. I've cheated. So if somebody lies to me, somebody cheats me, well, I'm to forgive. I'm to forgive. And none of this, oh, well, I'll forgive them when they forgive me. It doesn't say that. It says, you forgive you are to initiate the forgiveness. Well, it's not good to forgive a person that doesn't want forgiveness. It doesn't say that. It says, you forgive. It says, you forgive. It says, if, and it goes on, it says, if you don't forgive, your Heavenly Father won't forgive you. Remember, he says, don't play, pray like hypocrites. What do hypocrites do? They say, Lord, forgives our debts as we forgive our debtors. Ha, ha, ha. I'm happy now. And then we don't forgive. He says, that's how hypocrites pray. He says, I want you not to do that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, talks about lawsuits. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Do any of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? So he says, if you have a case against your neighbor, that is not just a particular believer, that's just your neighbor. You're not to go to court. You're to avoid everything to stay out of court in a civil suit. And then in verse, you know, you can read this for yourself, but he really comes against people for this. And then he says, he says uh, in, in verse, in verse uh, 5, I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is among you one... It, is it so that, that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you, that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. So, he comes really hard against lawsuits, one against the other. And then he says in verse, in, in, in verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the, in, in the Spirit of our God. So, we say, well, you don't know how bad that guy is. He says, oh, I know how bad he is. But I know how bad you are, too. Remember, a lot of you were, were, were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, and swindlers. I know that. But you were cleansed. God forgave you. God forgave you. You know, I was, I was on a business trip. I was going to speak at, at Georgia Tech. And the cab driver was driving me to my hotel that night. I flew in the night before I was supposed to speak. And as we're driving to the hotel, one young lady who's a, who was a uh, uh, student, a sophomore at Georgia Tech, ran a stoplight. And she, brought, and, 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 and she ran the stoplight and hit the cab. And glass flew everywhere. And, and, you know, I'd just been talking to this cab driver about the Lord. And glass was flying everywhere. And the, the, the airbag hits him in the face. The car comes to a stop. And I'm dazed. And he's dazed. And we get out of the car. And we go on the corner of the road together because this intersection is just filling up. We just start hugging each other that we're both well. And then I see the young girl on the opposite corner. And, you know, she's terrified, she and her friend. And, and uh, uh, so we walk to the opposite corner. And she says, are you guys okay? I said, we're okay. And, uh, uh, and I said, start to tell me about you. Are you a student? Here she is. And, you know, people can run red lights. This stuff happens. And, uh, uh, and then it turns out, I didn't even notice it until I had gone to the hotel room that night. I bent down and, oh, I had a broken rib. Because I, and I was very thankful I had the seatbelt on, so always wear your seatbelt in a cab, or else I'd have gone right through the front window. After going through that back panel, <laughs> through the front window. But, but um, uh, so I had this broken rib, and so I spent a few days with doctors, and they did the x-rays and everything. But the university covered all the expense because it was part of travel, so I was on a business trip. But I get this call from her insurance company saying, you know, how much does this cost you? I said, actually, you know, the university covers it out of their workman's compensation, so they've covered that. And they said, well, you know, we're willing to give you such and such money. I said, for what? They said, well, just to put this whole matter to rest. I said, well, why, why would you want to give me money? He said, all right, well, we'll give you this amount. I said, no, <laughs> no that's, that's not it. They said, you know, well, you only got a broken rib. It wouldn't look very good in court for you. You know, a, a, a jury's not going to have this much mercy on you. I said, what are you talking about court? The poor girl just ran a red light. I've run red lights before. I thankfully haven't hit anybody, but I'm colorblind, so I run more than most. You know? This happens. It happens sometimes. And then we got off the phone, and I get a check in the mail from this insurance agency for a higher number. And I just wrote him a note. I said, I have no intention of suing anyone. And I sent them the check back. This is not because I had to release this. I'm not here to take anybody to court. I didn't bring the cab company to court or anything. I want forgiveness when I do wrong. I was sitting in an airplane. I was about to go on a business trip. And, and uh, the stewardess of all people opens up the thing. Luggage falls out. Pow! Right on top of my head. I mean, and I just shouted. And, just, and it was in a daze. Just in the days. And then, lo and behold, the, the Continental Airlines sends me free tickets and all of this stuff. And, the, and I sent it back. I said, no. 
This was a mistake. It was a mistake. I'm not here to profit off of someone else's pain. This is what the Scriptures teach us. You forgive. That's it. You forgive. And Christians just start, just start licking their chops. You know, when, when they get hit in a car accident. It's, not, it's one thing to get covered for your expenses. You know, if, if, if I had, had out-of-pocket expenses for my broken rib, that was one thing. Let them cover that. But I'm not here to drain you. We are to be different. Paul, release this thing. Release it. Let it go. Learn to walk in forgiveness. This is what the Scriptures teach us. Live by it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, for the clarity of it, that You tell us to forgive, lest we receive no forgiveness. And You remind us of where we have come from and the wickedness that You have saved us from. And you say, and such were some of you. But you were forgiven, you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified. Father, I pray for these young people that you teach them to release, to not hold grudges lest it eat them alive. And to learn to walk in forgiveness. Father, your grace abound. Your grace abound upon them. Father, I thank you. Lord, I pray that you cause them to be different, to live differently. In the name of Jesus, amen.